Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 150, The Enemy. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log, we watch Star Trek. Then, we talk about Star Trek. Taking a look at the messages, morals, and meanings in the story and trying to figure out whether the whole thing stands the test of time. This week, the enemy. The enemy. It's kind of exciting. This is it. There's an enemy. There is an enemy, and we're going to meet him. Or her. Or it. Or are we? Much to think about as I give you a place to write to us and tell us about the stuff you're thinking about. Uh, Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter if you would like to uh, if you'd like to write to us, as I say. Now, you can also speak your mind. Leave us a voicemail, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And we do have a show website including discovered documents and places that you can leave comments and there are pictures and just all kinds of stuff. Uh, that website is missionlogpodcast.com. Please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. And if those contents, or, or comments rather, uh, happen to be trivia, John Champion may use that for his uh, for his trivia section too. Uh, checking the old uh, uh, chronometer on the thing. It looks like it's time for trivia now. That was a masterful segue. Thank you very much. And, and, and it came right in at time. Except, you know, <laughs> it did, it did. Now, yeah, now, we're, was... now we're talking about it, so we're running behind. Oh, I better get going then. All right, trivia on The Enemy. Today's episode is written by David Kemper and Michael Piller. Now, the original draft was a little different. Um, this would not have just been Jordy in the story, but rather Dana Troy, who would have been trapped with him. Marina wasn't too happy that she got cut out. Maybe we can talk to her about that in the future. Now, was this story influenced by The Defiant Ones? Well, almost certainly. The Defiant Ones was a movie from 1958 directed by Stanley Kramer, starring Tony Curtis and Sidney Poitier, who play two enemies who are literally bound together and must cooperate to survive. It was directed by David Carson today's episode. And uh, wait, now that's a new name for us. Uh, Carson is from England, and he got his start with episodic TV over there. Things like Coronation Street, Sherlock Holmes, to name a couple. Um, in the U.S., he dipped into sci-fi with a couple of episodes of Alien Nation. And then went on to quirkier fare like Northern Exposure, finally L.A. Law. And uh, he'll be around for a few more next-gen episodes, as well as some later Trek and a movie. All right, before we get into the story, we have a few Romulans that you need to meet. Uh, Bakra was played by John Snyder. No, not, not the guy from Dukes of Hazard. That was Schneider. Um, one of John Snyder's earliest credits is the 1979 film The Warriors, in which he played the gas station man. From there, he has an uh, almost equally impressive list of credits in front of the camera as an actor, as well as that of a voice actor. Anime fans will know his voice from Cowboy Bebop, Ghost in the Shell, and about a hundred others. He made it to Babylon 5, Wise Guy, and other TV appearances, and he'll be back on Next Gen one more time in a very different role. Uh, Commander Tomalak was played by Andreas Katsoulas. Now, Andreas was from St. Louis. He went to Indiana University, and he started acting at a very early age. 
Now, professionally, he made a number of guest appearances before landing more regular roles on shows like Max Headroom. He was Mr. Bartlett. And uh, he is best known for Babylon 5, though, in which he played Gakar. He did come back to Star Trek in 2003 for an episode of Enterprise. Sadly, we lost him in 2006 at the age of 60 to lung cancer. He was a lifelong smoker. Finally, Patak, played by Steve Rankin. Now, he has made a career out of guest roles on TV, everything from X-Files to Buffy to NCIS to Malcolm the Middle to Murphy Brown. In Star Trek, they must have liked him a lot because he has the distinction of appearing at least once in every spinoff TV series since 1989. Who is this enemy to which the title refers? Let us see if Ken can tell us. Prologue. Riker, Worf, and LaForge beam down to a really hostile planet. The air is charged and full of particles, so communications are out. Tricorders are practically useless. Eyes and Geordi's visor are mostly what they have to go on. They spot the remains of a Romulan ship, well inside Federation space. Geordi says it was blown up intentionally, apparently to hide the ship's existence. Riker has placed a transport beacon. All of the interference in the air means the Enterprise won't be able to keep track of them, they got 12 minutes to get back to the beacon for beam out. So, of course, the best idea is to split up. On their respective walkabouts, Worf finds an injured Romulan, Riker finds Worf, and LaForge finds a really deep hole into which he falls. Worf wants to go looking for him, but their window is closing. Riker and Worf beam up to the Enterprise with the injured Romulan as we head to opening credits. Act 1. The planet on which LaForge is lost is Galorndon Core. There was an unidentified distress signal that brought the Enterprise there. Riker wants to go back and look for Geordi, but Picard says no. They'll have to wait for another break in the storm. Riker says there's nothing to salvage from the Romulan wreck. As for what the heck the Romulans were doing on Glorndon Core, the captain conjectures it would be a great place for the Romulans to launch a secret offensive. On the planet, Geordi uses his visor, his phaser, and some naturally occurring elements to construct spikes with which he can climb out of the cave. Science! In sickbay, the injured Romulan is not doing well. His neural pathways are breaking down, probably affected by the harsh conditions on the planet. Left too long, those conditions will negatively affect Geordi as well. The Romulan will need a transfusion, if they can find anyone in the Enterprise with compatible ribosomes. Well, says Riker, while you're doing that, why not wake him up so we can ask him, what the heck? Dr. Crusher says she can bring him around for a few minutes. The Romulan wakes up just long enough to say that he was alone on the planet, and he'll be taking no more questions, please. Riker and Picard don't believe this whole he-was-alone thing. Speaking of alone on the planet, the bridge crew is working on how to contact Geordi. Whizkid Wesley Crusher has an idea. They can send a probe with a neutrino pulse down to the planet. Geordi's visor could pick that up, then Geordi could let them know that he found it by modifying the pulse. One make-it-so-later, and Crusher is working on that. It's then that Data picks up a transmission from really far away, aimed at Galorndon Core. The Romulan commander Tomalok is sending the message that his ship is on the way to aid whoever on the planet. They are entering the neutral zone and should be to Galorndon Core in six hours. Act 2. Picard hails the Romulan vessel. Yeah, uh, he heard the message, and no, you're not allowed to cross the neutral zone. Though, says Tomalak, my bad. If I had known you were there, I'd have said, hey, we're coming over. Cool? Tomalak says the Romulan ship ended up on Galorndon Core due to a navigational error. Picard says they have a Romulan survivor, though his ship was a loss. 
By the way, any more Romulans down there? Tomalak says no, it was a one-man ship. Now please have my guy to your side of the neutral zone in five hours. Riker and Worf argue against returning the Romulan to his ship. They should keep him. They should interrogate him. Picard says they have to think carefully about their next moves, lest they start a war for the ages. In sickbay, the Romulan's condition is worsening, and Dr. Crusher hasn't found a likely ribosome donor yet. On the bridge, Wesley Crusher says the neutrino probe is ready. They launch it. And it works! At least as far as the Enterprise can see. On the planet, we see that Geordi sees it too. He's on his way to alter the pulse and get the heck out of there when he is bonk-bonked on the head, unconscious, by another Romulan. Act 3. The Romulan declares Geordi his prisoner. Geordi tries to be friendly, then he tries to scare him. He says the ship heard the Romulan message and that the sky is now full of Federation vessels. The Romulan's not buying it. Or he says he's not anyway. Geordi's still making his pitch when a rock slide hits and traps the Romulan. Being a good Starfleet guy, Geordi helps the Romulan to safety. Being a standard-issue Romulan, as soon as he can, he's got Geordi back at the business end of his phaser, once again holding him prisoner. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher has good news for Worf. She's found a ribosome match for the Romulan. And it's him. Yay! I'm not going to fly with Worf. Um, you did understand that that's why we were testing you, didn't you? Worf says he has no objection to tests, but he's not overly interested in saving the life of a Romulan. He watched Romulans kill his Klingon parents. Crusher says, This Romulan didn't kill his parents, and Worf is the only one who can save his life. Then he will die. On the planet, Geordi and Centurion Bakra are discussing life, the universe, and everything. For Bakra, living and dying for the Romulan Empire is awesome, because one day it'll span the whole galaxy and humans will be extinct. Then, Bakra goes on a coughing jag, and Geordi says the Romulan's heart rate is going nuts. He explains that his visor allows him to see that. Bakra is amazed that Geordi's parents let him live with such a disability. That's what makes humans weak. They waste time and resources on defective children. It's right then that conditions on the planet start taking a serious toll on both of them. Bakra's temperature shoots up, and Geordi's visor starts to crap out. Except the visor's fine. The planet is harming both Geordi and Bakra physically. They'll have to work together to get the probe. Though, Bakra is less interested in that than continuing his game of prisoner. On the Enterprise, Tomalak calling. We are nearly at the Federation border of the neutral zone, and, um... You're not. What the heck? Picard says they're still trying to get their away team off of Galorndon Core. Tomalak says, fine, we'll just come over, get our guy. But Picard warns him to stay out of Federation space unless he's ready to fight. Territory, scoffs Tomalak. You would measure territories against a man's life? Yeah, Picard's not buying it. Don't enter Federation space. Picard out. On the planet, Geordi and Bakra are still talking death and duty. Geordi agrees with the Romulan that there are times to die for what you believe in, but is this really one of those times? Bakra puts down his phaser, and the two go to find the neutrino beacon. Sadly, they make it about five steps before Geordi's visor stops working for him. He can no longer see the neutrino pulse. Act 4. Riker and Worf talk over the situation with the Romulan. Riker says he understands Worf's position, though Worf says he cannot. Romulans killed Worf's parents. Yeah, but come on. These cycles of hate have to stop sometime, right? I mean, Klingons used to hate humans just as much, and now look at you and me. 
Worf is conflicted. His Starfleet training tells him he should donate the ribosomes to the dying Romulan, though everything else in his being tells him to not. It is then that Worf is called to sickbay. In sickbay, Dr. Crusher wants Worf to see the dying Romulan actually dying. Really, look at him dying. It's not too late to change your mind. Worf talks with the Romulan. There is a substance in my cells which you need to survive. Not only will the Romulan not beg for his life, which wasn't what Worf wanted anyway, but the Romulan says, I would rather die than pollute my body with Klingon filth. On the planet, Bakra is seriously on board with his whole let's work together to find a solution thing. While Jordy is pretty much defeated, Bakra has an idea. Jordy should hook up his tricorder and his visor to spot the neutrino beacon. Without being able to see, Jordy wouldn't be able to make that happen, though Bakra says he will be Jordy's eyes. On the bridge, Data says storm activity on the planet is starting to subside. Picard tells Riker to assemble an away team to find Jordy, but he has to cancel that order almost immediately when Worf says Tomalok's ship has entered Federation space. The Enterprise goes to red alert. Act 5. Bakra and Jordy do the thing with the things. They have a working neutrino scanner, the first Federation Romulan co-venture. If they're lucky, Jordy says they'll be able to beam out soon, at which time... Too, Bakra points out that he'll be a Federation prisoner. Awkward. Come on, let's get out of here anyway. In the captain's ready room, Picard calls Warp in to talk over the whole ribosome thing. The stakes are high. If the Romulan in sick bay dies, that could start a firing war between the Romulans and the Federation. Warp says he gets that. So, says Picard, there's no question the Romulan officer is worth more to us alive than dead. Warp says he gets that. Okay, then get this. I could order you to do the thing, but that, um... You know? Worf says if Picard orders Worf to agree to the transfusion, he will obey. Picard doesn't want to order Worf to submit to the transfusion, but he asks Worf, begs Worf to volunteer. And Worf declines. And Picard... stands down. Further, he orders Dr. Crusher to leave Worf alone about it. She says she was going to do that anyway, though, since the Romulan in sickbay just died. On the planet, Geordi and Bakra have found the neutrino beacon. Above the planet, Tomalok's ship is now nose-to-nose with the Enterprise. Give me my guy. Your guy is dead. The Romulan says he'll be the first of many. Communications are cut. Both the Romulans and the Enterprise power up weapons. Ready... Aim. Well, this is odd. The neutrino beam has altered, so Geordi has found it. And conditions on the planet are good enough that Data sees two life forms, not one. There's another Romulan. Probably. Picard opens a channel to the Romulan ship. So, um, we found your other guy on the planet, and we want to beam him and my guy to our ship. We will, of course, return your guy to your ship, provided you don't blow us up when we lower our shields to beam up the guys. So don't blow us up when we lower our shields to beam up the guys. The Enterprise lowers shields. It beams up the guys, directly to the bridge. And Tomalok doesn't blow up the Enterprise. Bakra tells Tomalok that not only has he not been mistreated, he's not given up any information, and one of the humans actually saved his life. The two ships stand down. They return Bakra to his ship and escort the ship back to the neutral zone. The end.
Well said, Ken. Well said, Ken. Uh, before we get into our observations, um, this is a little behind-the-scenes moment for Mission Log. Um, earlier, we were having an off-the-air conversation about autocorrect mm-hmm. and uh, how that can lead to all kinds of funny and interesting things, particularly in our notes. You know, yeah. when we're dealing with serious <laughs> topics. And um, I just wanted to point out that at least once, uh, instead of neutrino beacon, mm-hmm. I did see neutrino bacon. Mmm, I love neutrino bacon. Isn't it the best? It is good. You know, you can get I, it, that at Trader Joe's. You can, yeah. and then mm-hmm. of course, I, a lot of people don't know this, but if you're out camping or something in the 24th century, one of the best mm-hmm. ways to cook bacon is wrap it around the end of a phaser. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, that reference! That is a will, that is a that is a contemporary reference. Ten years from yeah, now. no, absolutely. Yeah. People will be like, "Oh, I got to try that one day," because I have no <laughs> idea what he was talking about. Otherwise, how um, about how about Jordy with the spikes? Right. How about that? I can't remember ever seeing this episode. I, and I know yeah. I have, but it's been, I mean, it's been, it's got to have been at least 20 years since I've seen sure. this episode. And I'm watching it with my wife and, and, and she's like, what's he doing? And I said, uh-huh. he's, he's making like, uh, he's making like crampons so he can, you know, so he can climb up out of there. That's my guess. Right. I don't know for sure. And sure enough, boom, he's making well, crampons there he, or, he does or spikes like- actually. Kind of like a Sulu in uh, The Enemy Within. He, he's using the phaser to do something other than kill and disintegrate. He's he's shooting, you know, Sulu shoots at a rock to heat up the rocks. Yep. And and they maintain that heat for at least a little while so they can gather around and warm themselves up. Jordy shoots metal yeah. and creates these spikes. And then he just picks them up with his bare hands. Yeah. <laughs> he's. I assume a little time has passed. Or maybe okay. it's or maybe it's one of the really amazing things about this really amazing metal. I was mm. thinking, wow, it, it melts so quickly. Is that lead? But you know, no, because <laughs> lead would have just melted. I mean, you know, and then you wouldn't have to say, wow, is it the is it the environment that's killing Jordy? Because no, it's probably all the contact with the lead. Right, <laughs> that must be it. Yeah, which went to chewing on. Apparently, in my head, he went to chewing on that the second he got out of the uh, <laughs> right. second he got out of the pit. Um, so we did learn uh, a little bit more about the replicator in this episode. The replicator can't make molecules as complicated as what Dr. Crusher would need. Mm-hmm. Can't make ribosomes. It, it, it can still make food, though. Well, it can't make these ribosomes. No. There's a. Did you ever read um, Islands in the Net by Bruce Sterling? I do not know that at all. No. Okay. I, I, there are parts of that book that stuck with me. I can't tell you anything mm-hmm. about what it's about now because it's been a long time. But there are little pieces that stick with me. Uh, one of them is that at this point in in our future, most people have started eating something called SCOP, which okay. is a single cell organic protein. Sounds delicious. And well, I mean, they find ways to you know doctor it and make it uh, better. Although it can just be you know sort of gloppy stuff, I guess if you want it to be. Mm-hmm. So I actually have no problem with the replicator being able to make food and not not make um, you know something as complicated as a ribosome that only sure, one sure. other person on the Enterprise would have because. Uh, Apparently, there's not much to make in food. We, no, we, right, we right. need food, but we don't need great food. We don't need complicated food, at least if this Bruce Sterling, you know, hard science fiction book is any indication. Uh, we, we can do with one single cell of protein. Yeah, nobody's really <laughs> into food on this enterprise except for Riker, who cannot make an omelet to save his life. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, nobody's into it so far. Oh, they like so their far, teas, right. or one of them likes their tea anyway, and the rest of yeah. them, you know, it's kind of like, you know. Whatever happens to pop out of the food tray, Spencer, yeah. slide. Oh, look, it's tea. I guess I'll drink it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, it's a plant. I guess that's what we're eating today. <laughs> right. Although I, I bring that up because it is an interesting thing that, that they would even have entertained the idea that you could replicate 
a biological part for a medical process. Mm. I mean, as we record this, you know, we're, we're kind of right at the beginning of this idea that you can grow replacement parts like on a lattice work in a lab in a petri dish mm -hmm. stem cells. And, and that's very exciting technology. But here, you know, on a show made 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, you, you have this idea that you could go to the machine and say, make me a batch of ribosomes. And that's not out of the question. Right. You know? Blood. So, White guy, body temperature, <laughs> right. and it just pops out. It's an interesting thing, actually. I don't remember ever mm -hmm. seeing anything about a blood drive on the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. So that's it never even occurred to me. Are the replicators actually replicating? Huh. Ooh. That's interesting. Yeah. Very. And how much stuff can you replace with a replicator until you're not you anymore? Well, then you just have to beam yourself off the Enterprise and beam back an earlier version of you. Oh, there we go. I'd rather yeah. do that. <laughs> That's much better, because then you yeah. won't even know what happened. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, fortunately, we have Deanna in this episode. I mentioned earlier how um, she was supposed to have been trapped on the uh, planet on Galandon Core, um, but she is on the Enterprise, and thank goodness, because she is there to inform Picard that there is hostility between uh, behind Tomalak's smile. Yeah, and, no, uh, I, I wouldn't have seen that without her being there. No, it's a good thing she's got the, you know, magic alien powers <laughs> where she can she can see deeply. Be nice. To, uh, people, even At aliens. least she wasn't completely cut out of the script. No, no, yeah. she wasn't. Yeah. Um, it, there's a moment where Geordi sees a neutrino beam and, and famously says, thank you, Wesley. And I thought that's a bit presumptuous. Mm -hmm. What if it was data, you know, and, and also, <laughs> you know, because it, it could have been anybody. Yeah, really. Um, but we uh, we had a listener point out something that I thought was very interesting uh, uh, preceding this episode. He said, you know, it, the Enterprise gets to a planet mm -hmm. and, and stuff is happening. You, you've got atmospheric conditions. You, you've got radiation. You've got all this stuff. It seems like the Enterprise computer would just start even before they got there with coming up with solutions to initial problems. Yeah, we're, you know? we're going to have to get comfortable with the idea that the computer is never going to do anything. No. I mean, I mean, because no. it's not. I mean, it'll mess with you emotionally. Right. But but the computer will do things ahead of time, like say, hey, you know what? You're coming up to a planet that has this particular type of radiation. You got bad atmospheric conditions. You might need a neutrino beam or that might be the only thing that you can identify. And by the way, maybe you just shouldn't beam people down there. Or if you do, make sure they're protected. Well, they were answering a distress call, though. I mean, I, like, I mean, I got to I got to you can't fault them for doing that because they thought that they were going after somebody who was injured. Uh, of what, course. what I find interesting, though, about the argument that the computer should have done that, I mean, we're really just going to have to let that go. I mean, Booby yeah, Trap yeah. tells us that we have to let that go because there's no way the computer should not have been able to get them out of that thing except, you know, Picard likes the human gut more than he likes the, you know, thousand computations per second ability of the computer. And so, Except for Data. He, he loves Data guts. That's it's true. It, well, <laughs> Data's got robot guts. It's different. He does. It, it's a different thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I, you're right. Even if it were just a catalog, even if it were just an encyclopedia of everything that's ever worked before. Yeah. You bring up the database. Yeah. And you go, huh, because honestly, okay, the idea of happen. dropping a beacon in rough seas, mm -hmm. really not something you need a whisk and like Wesley Crusher for, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jordy tells, uh, Bakra, uh, he never lies when he has sand in his shoes. Mm-hmm. 
just seemed like an odd line because he's lying. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, what, what I actually couldn't understand is how did he end up with so much dry sand in his shoes? <laughs> I know, right? It was, it was a, a bit of the you know you step out of Star Trek and you step into the like you know silent comedy era where you pick up the shoe and just <laughs> dump it. It's like a scene out of Gilligan's Island almost. He just yeah. dumps and holding like a, it for five minutes and it's still right, just it like just sand is still coming, pouring you know? out. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Another listener comment, and I don't know if you noticed this or not, but way before we got to this episode, Mm -hmm. uh, at least one, I I think definitely more than one of our listeners pointed out something about the view screen on the Enterprise. So toward the end, when Picard is negotiating with uh, the Ramadan commander, Tomalak, um, we see him straight on as like a 2D video image, right? Tomalak, you mean? We see Tomalak in 2D? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, when the camera position, when the, the camera position of the, on the Enterprise, like our POV on the Enterprise changes, we see the commander facing toward our imaginary camera, which would be impossible. So he sort of turns over his uh, left shoulder to, to tell them to, um, you know, shut off the weapons. And, um, it, but we actually see that POV. It, it's not just the flat 2D image from the front turning anymore it's from the side it's kind of a weird thing and one of our listeners actually did a screen grab of the two side by side which i thought was pretty interesting now i have to say i actually have a little less of a problem with this than our listeners did um because as we've learned now if the enterprise computer is just interpolating visual data anyway then why not (laughs) you know if it's saying okay well here's a cgi rendering of this ship and then that ship and then we're just going to build out a little more of the image of this guy so maybe if you're standing over here then here's the pov for you and maybe if you're standing in front here's the pov for you this portion of mission log brought to you by the production nerd news of the week (laughs) which is every week The hole into which Jordy fell at the start of the show was pretty deep. Let us see if John and Ken can dig even deeper. I want you to think way, way back, John. I want you to think way, way back. And it's not as far back for us personally as it is for people listening necessarily because of something that we just did relatively recently as we record this. But can you put your head all the way back to the cage? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things that we talked about in the cage was the fact that uh, I thought that they were saying in that never aired pilot that um, there's no hell. The Telosian tells uh, tells uh, uh, Captain Pike that uh, that this torture that he puts upon him, uh, which obviously has Pike thinking that he's in something like hell, that it's from a fable that he heard in childhood. Right. And it lasts for maybe 20 seconds. And yet it was a big topic of conversation for us. And I bring that up because there is an almost throwaway line. That's not throwaway, but we, we spend maybe 45 seconds on a topic in this episode that I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge it. Hmm. Um, what's his name? Bakra doesn't realize mm-hmm. that Jordy is blind. I guess, I guess right. he just thinks he likes wearing a banana clip on his face. Maybe it's a fashion <laughs> right. thing. Maybe something's going on in the Federation they haven't heard about because, you know, there's, there's that whole neutral zone that they don't really cross. Right. And, and it's not like, you know... You know, when, when, what is it, Voice of America would, would beam transmissions into enemy territory? The Federation's yeah. apparently not beaming like TV over to the Romulans to let them know what's going on. So he doesn't know that that thing on Geordi's face is actually functional, that it's doing something, that it is in fact making him not blind because Geordi was born blind. And Bakra mm-hmm. 
says, wow, and your parents let you live? And Jordy says, what? 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 What kind yeah. of question is that? And Bakra says, well, come on. You waste time and resources on defective children. That's why humans are weak. That's, that's, that's the problem with humans, with the Federation, mm-hmm. that you, you waste time and resources on defective children. That is really ugly. Yeah. <laughs> that is just yeah. incredibly ugly. And it just kind of felt like because it's not a thing. It's not even a thing in the episode. But, but it's, it's just an, an insanely ugly sentiment that that on paper <laughs> you can yeah. see how a society or a race might go nah, nah that kind of makes sense and yet it's absolutely abhorrent it's a terrible awful thing and the problem that i have with the line is i'm like eh, yeah but that's not who we're going to be i mean that's really what it comes down to because resources wise and you know making the strongest and making the best and all that stuff uh what 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 makra says um makes I don't want to say it makes sense. It, it makes dollars and cents sense. And it's a horrible, 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 horrible thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Jordy calls him on it. He's like, dude, that's terrible. But then the whole thing lasts like 45 seconds. I honestly couldn't believe that we just, I mean, it, basically, Bachler's just told um, Jordy that in Romulan you know, land, mm-hmm. Jordy would be dead. And as mm-hmm. far as Bach was concerned, Jordy should be dead. Now, of course, it ends up being good that Jordy's not dead because that ends up helping to save Jordy's life. And one assumes that Bakra learns a whole bunch of lessons, not just that humans aren't bad, which, of course, he would have begun the episode thinking, but, right. you know, but also that, um, no, you don't, you, don't, you don't kill a kid because, uh, well, this one's broken. We'll, we'll make another one. I don't know. It's, it's 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 a horrible, horrible topic, and yet I felt like we would have been, um, um, well, dodging if we hadn't, at the very least, acknowledged it. I'm less optimistic about Bakra carrying this lesson with him for the rest of his life. Why is that? I, well, I, I don't know. I Maybe actually wasn't overly the- optimistic, honestly, about Bakra living all the way back to the Romulan homeworld. Oh, sure. Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Assuming right. he does that, though, you think you wouldn't carry this lesson with him? No. Um, the Romul- We're getting a little more detail about the Romulans here now. And, and you look back at the Romulans in the original series, and, and there, there was kind of like um, an elegance to them. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we met Mark Leonard as a Romulan commander, and then we had the female Romulan commander in the Enterprise incident. Uh, that was the one with the Enterprise. Oh, that's right. Something happened with the Enterprise, With right? the Enterprise, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, there was but, that one that looked like Kirk, actually. He seemed like a pretty on-the-ball kind of Romulan guy. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except that was Kirk. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. But now as we get more detail and, and, and we expand the Romulan story a little bit, um, we're making them even nastier. And, and there's a closer parallel to uh, like this Nazi history mm-hmm. with them. You know, we, it, what you're describing is Na- eugenics. Nazi you know, they, history and Nazi ambitions, though, because the other thing Bakker yeah. says is, by the way, galaxy's going to be awesome in like a thousand years when there are no more humans and, and exactly. it's just all Romulan all the time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we describe this thing that, that is this very eugenics uh, uh, point of view that they have, but then also saying, okay, we're outlining our desire for conquest. It's not just that Romulans are bad guys who drop into the neutral zone every now and then and maybe have some weapons. Now we actually know that the Romulans have a plan. And, and it is a very long-term plan. And mm-hmm. they have all been steeped in this forever and ever. So Bakra may have had a little 
a little speed bump. <laughs> you know? See, I'm not even 100% certain, though, that, Bach, that the Romulans actually have this plan. I think you, that's, think, you think it's just rhetoric? I think it could be, yeah. I mean, because yeah. that's an interesting thing, right? Because Bacchus has this whole thing about how, yeah, we're going to take over and it's going to be awesome. And, and, and Jordy's like, wow, you really believe that, don't you? Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, the, the possibility is there, the distinct possibility is there that it's just propaganda. That, you know, yeah. to keep its machine running. I mean, it's a bit like, um, oh, which would be another, like 1984, girl. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have two minutes of hate. Why do you have two minutes of hate? Well, to keep people online and remind them that there is an enemy and, and we're fighting this enemy, which may or may not even be real, but, right. you know, it's real in their minds. So that that keeps you, you know, eyes down, head forward, working for the Romulan Empire. Um, and maybe one day it expands and maybe it never does. Yeah. Um, there are a few interesting topics here, but but one that I thought really stood out to me was the theme about what it means to be a soldier, like what duty requires and, and, and what it makes you. Mm-hmm. And, and we see it in a couple of places here. We, we see it in the, the problem with um, Bakra and Jordi, but we also see it with Worf. But let, let's talk about Bakra first here. So the Romulan is still in soldier mode, even when he's got absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of back to that idea that we had talked about before, you know, the Japanese soldier stranded after World War II has no idea that the war is over. And the, then the question is, well, when should he turn it off? When does he get to drop the pretense and start acting like a person who needs the help of another person, regardless of where that person is from? Um, well, once he realizes that his brain's turning to mush. <laughs> right, right. I mean, but I mean, if his it, brain has turned to mush enough and then he that might be too late to actually make yeah. that decision. No, that's true. But I mean, the, the, the one thing I would say about your, your parallel with the world war two guy is, I mean, what you talked about, like on the $6 million man episode, I think, <laughs> right. which I love that. I love that we referenced that. Oh yeah. 2056, by the way, is when our $6 million podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <clears throat> um, the difference is 30 years have passed for the Japanese soldier. He's mm-hmm. got to think at some point, you know, I'm not sure anybody's coming back. The Romulan thing just happened. I mean, again, remember, it was an automated distress beacon that called them there. By the mm. way, if you're going on a secret mission, turn off the automated distress yeah, beacon. Yeah, yeah. Because if something happens, just be lost. you don't want anybody to know. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe Tomalak should have disabled it before they left and said, no, 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 it's working. I checked it. It's fine. <laughs> Anything goes wrong, you guys will be cool. I mean, as far as he knows, um, there are Romulans on the way for him any second. So Bakra, you know, continuing to hold the weapon on Jordy. Until he realizes that he needs him makes perfect sense to me. I do love the fact, though, that he eventually came to a point of being like, all right, this is actually getting kind of dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, well, uh, Jordy has that great line. There are times when it's necessary to die for one's ideals. Do you Mm -hmm. believe this is one of those times? Uh, You know, the good Romulan may have just said, well, every time. (laughs) Let's put Worf in that position. Right. Every time is the time to die for one's ideals. <laughs> you know? Every time. Every the, single time. 63% of the time, every time, is the right time to die. <laughs> right. Speaking of speaking of right and, and, and when you do what's right and what defines what's right exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great medical ethical dilemma for, mm-hmm. for, for Beverly Crusher in this episode, which she glides past effortlessly. Which is so the, so the Romulans in sick bay, and she's like, I don't know how, I don't know if this guy's going to make it. It's bad, oh, it's bad, and he needs like you know medical attention. And Riker's like, well, can you wake him up so I can talk to him? 
And she doesn't even get a chance to like argue before Picard says, this is important. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, what mm-hmm. you need is important. Uh, my bad. Because I thought, you know, my life of saving lives was important. But here, let me go ahead and wake this guy up for you. It was kind of amazing to me that there wasn't even a second of like, it, look, he, me, I am a, fine. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't even an argument. It's just sort of like, um, you know, I don't know if it's because Picard said it was important or because she was considering all the, you know, geopolitical ramifications of, of not knowing what the Romulans were up to, like the Romulan was going to talk anyway. But, um, yeah, you know, so she gives him a hypo to wake him up. Just, I mean, just without even thinking, which I found, which I found, I'll put it this way, not to compare them constantly, but Pulaski would have given him a little guff. <laughs> Pulaski would have given him just a tiny bit of guff about that. Like, yeah. Like, you know, maybe he's not one of your men, but he's a man and he needs blah, blah, blah. You know, right. I mean, as opposed right. to, you know, Crusher, who's like, eh, okay. I would like to see that not work just once. See what not work just once. Okay, so you, you got the guy who has the important information, whoever that may be. It may be a human, maybe a Romulan, maybe a Vulcan, whatever, and he's just been beat to hell and he's in sick bay, unconscious. Mm-hmm. And and the captain, whoever that captain may be, comes in and says, You have to wake him up. I have to get the important information. Okay, I'll do it. And you get out the hypo spray and either it kills him or it just doesn't work. <laughs> It's just like, give him another. Nope, still not working. Give him another. Nope, still, because you see the guy's been beat to hell yeah, and he's he, laying on the sick bay bed. He, he died like 20 minutes ago. It's I'm going to stop, stop shooting him up with stuff if that's okay with you. Just stop doing that. Yeah. This is not going to I mean, so at what point does, uh, so he's not going to give up the information, right? I can wake him up. I can mm-hmm. wake him up. And eh, maybe I shouldn't medically, but I can wake him up. Okay, well, you can wake him up. Could you wake him up with maybe something that makes him a little, oh, I don't know, truthy, say? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really interesting to me that there was not even a moment. Look, we got to mm-hmm. get to the Worf story. I understand that. And the Worf story is incredible in this episode. But the Worf yeah. story actually could have stopped with Beverly. The uh, Worf story yeah. could have been Beverly's story if she had said, look, this guy is going to live, but not if you make me do this. I mean, it would have been kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, she she's a prop in this episode. I mean, yeah. it's really what it comes down to. It's like, okay, so there's a doctor and she's taking care of him and we need to get past the doctor. So uh, let's just write ourselves past the doctor and we'll get to the part that we actually care about. Speaking of which. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, it, it's the worst story. It, it is the, the worst story. story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, it, you know, that's what I thought was interesting parallel with Bakra is when, when does Bakra get to drop the act and drop the pretense and, and act more like a person? I know he's not human, but but act more like a person than a soldier. And here's Worf in soldier mode, you know, Worf and his Romulan hatred. And, um, and Riker calls him out on it. So you blame all Romulans forever. And and I just thought, dude, did you not see the Corbomite maneuver, Worf? Because <laughs> oh, you could should. really you could really stand to watch that episode. Yeah, that was a fantastic. Just, just that he, yeah, if he if if he's never watched an episode of Star Trek, he should watch that one. That surely be the one. Here's what's so interesting <laughs> to me. So, okay, Worf, we've described this before with uh, well, in particular with Worf's sexuality. Um, how in uh, the the emissary, how he's just like, okay, well, we did this thing on the holodeck, so now I'm bound by tradition. Here's what we're going to do. Worf is more Klingon than Klingon. He he is absolutely bound by what his perception of honor and tradition drives him to do. And what I love here is everybody around him trying to back him into making the right decision. They don't order him. 
where they lead him right up to the point using logic and emotion in their arguments. Um, you know, Picard tries to, to tackle the, the duty angle and the logic of saying, okay, this could start a war. War is bad. So here's what duty calls you to do. Mm-hmm. Beverly goes through the emotional angle saying, I want you to see this person die because he, he can potentially die and you could potentially save him. And then Riker is kind of in the middle, right? Riker is kind of like, you know, here's the ethics of the situation. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you what I would do. You know, so everybody is making these fantastic arguments and, and really getting at the emotional and the logical heart of it. And then he doesn't do it. And the first time I watched this, I was actually surprised when Worf refused and yeah. the Romulan died. But then I thought better of it and really interesting reading the background on this episode um, because, yeah, the audience, as I did, would expect a very Star Trek moment here in which Worf would learn the error of his waves. It was too obvious and it was too neat and too pretty of an ending. Uh, Michael Piller fought for it. And, and he got Rick Berman on his side. Michael Dorn hated it to begin with, but he later, later thought better of it. Um, but boy, the, he has that line, I would rather die than pollute my body with Klingon filth. That, that's Patak saying that to Worf. Mm-hmm. And, and by the way, in that scene, a nice subtle reference, uh, reuse of the Klingon theme in that, just playing very lightly underneath. And I, for a moment there, I actually thought Worf would be like, oh, oh, you don't want me to save you? You'd rather die than get ready for a transplant, son. Here comes my ribosomes because yeah. you don't want them. Honestly, I thought that was the way it was going to be as well when, when mm-hmm. he says I would rather you know die than um, you know, whatever. With the Klingon my fill. body, yeah. my precious bodily fluids. <laughs> <laughs> deny him your essence. Deny him your essence. Just, uh, yeah, I, I really thought, yeah, and then he passes out. And so I thought the next thing we were going to see was you know that what you always see in like, like, like an episode of MASH. When I think mm-hmm. they knocked out Frank Burns, right, so that mm-hmm. they could get a transfusion into a North Korean soldier, right. I really thought the next thing you would see was Worf laid out in uh, sick bay, uh, same as um, yeah, same as the same as the Romulan, and it really does make Worf uh, just a. I mean, it's well, we can get to we can get to how it how it what it does for the show later. Well, here's the thing: Do you think that everybody watching this episode is sitting there thinking? Yeah, as hard as it may be, the right decision is to do the right thing. As, as t- if I were in that place, even though it might go against everything I believe, that's still the right thing to do. And, and wow, how shocking that Worf wouldn't do that. Because I, I kept trying to challenge myself. I kept trying to rack my brain to think if there was a point that I, I had been or could potentially have been faced with a similar dilemma. And I couldn't think of one because it was all contrived, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but th- this is one of those places where sort of the, the pettiness and a, an emotional motivation of an individual can be worse than the motivation of the group because the, the group, you know, Picard and Beverly and Riker who have a level of separation here can say, okay, look, ethically and logically, here's what you need to do. And it left me asking, is there legitimacy to worse decision? You know, uh, um, he's he's a free agent. Yes, mm-hmm. he's a Starfleet officer, but he he is a free agent. Mm-hmm. He he has rights. He has individuality. Um, do, does it end there? And then ultimately, what's the fallout after this fact? 
uh, amongst his peers. We've apparently decided that, that that does have legitimacy, at least in society today. Yeah. And, and you can sit there and you can say, well, Picard should have ordered them. But we're not required by law to be organ donors. We're not required by law to give blood. There mm-hmm. are appeals. There are appeals all the time, and, and, and it is made relatively easy. You can just you know, check a box as you go and, and apply for your driver's license, or you can just go down to the Red Cross or you know, whoever else gathers blood where you live and, um, and, you know, and, and, and offer it up freely. But mm-hmm. nobody's mm-hmm. coming to your door to do that, and people die because people don't donate their organs. Uh, yeah. Because people aren't living donors as well, and because you know people don't give blood. I mean, sometimes we don't usually run out of blood, but I know that you know supplies get low. Sure. And we're not required by law to do that. So, I mean, your question is—I mean—is an interesting one. It's a good one, and 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 when we look to these people, we look to these characters as as. Sometimes we look to them to be role models, and other times we just look to them to be analogs for us. And in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, Worf is an analog for a lot of us. Now, if you made it personal, if you were sitting there next to somebody, and then somebody was standing there going, look, give me a pint of blood because this person needs one pint of blood. Then whether it's your enemy or not, I don't know what people would do, but generally speaking, that's not our, that's not our thing. Generally speaking, we're at home saying, eh, I wonder if I should be an organ donor. Eh, I wonder if I should leave the house and donate blood. Eh, I wonder what's on TV. Yeah. You know, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, we, we've apparently decided there is legitimacy to, to leaving Wharf with that choice because that's the society in which we live currently. It's, True. It seems I, to me. Th- there's a whole other layer to it when we look at the idea of him saving his enemy. And, and yeah. that's, why, that's why I bring up the Corbomite maneuver because that, that was sort of the, the lesson that, yeah, I, I realize we've talked about that a million times on this show and we will talk about it again, I'm at sure. At least a million more. At least a million more, but it, but it's a profound thing because it it so speaks to the idea of Star Trek making a comment about humanity and who we wish we could be and who we should try to be, and and part of that is that we we are better than our base instincts and that we would try to help somebody if they are in need, even if that person is perceived to be our enemy, because ultimately they may not be. Um, and, and we build that story very effectively. Of course, they were unaware of it, but we build that story with Worf and uh, Bakra, you know, finding some common ground, finding some humanity between them to be able to work together. Picard has – he has the, the needs of the many versus the needs of the few or the, or the one speech. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he says that in so many words to, to Worf. And, and you ask yourself then, well, why didn't Picard order Worf? Because honestly, at the end of the day, it could have just been another order. It could have been just as easily as, you know, put the phaser down microbrain. It could have been any of that. And, and then you ask yourself, well, why didn't Worf do it anyway after Picard asked slash begged? Even if Picard doesn't give him the order... Worf is still hyper aware of the org chart and that chain of command and realizes that Picard is the senior officer. He earned the position. He knows what he's talking about. And maybe it would be a good thing to do what he wants anyway, even if following the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. Um, but yeah, here's, here's Worf through this whole thing being too much a soldier and not enough a person. Oh, I disagree. So, I would go the exact opposite. Really? 
He's being too much a person, not enough a soldier. He says that his Starfleet training tells him what he should do, but mm-hmm. everything about mm-hmm. himself tells him he can't or he won't. I think it's exactly the opposite of that. Everybody mm-hmm. expects him to do this. And as you pointed out, a good soldier would do that. He's not being a good soldier here. He's being, he's being himself. And it's interesting. It's interesting that, I mean, he's allowed to do that. But I mean, even that might tie back into the whole, even that might tie back into the whole thing that we started this segment with, with, you know, wow, your parents let you live. Mm-hmm. Jordy was born who Jordy was born. And of course, Jordy is going to be allowed to grow. I mean, of course, he's going to be allowed to live and allowed to grow. And in fact, he excels because that happens. It's kind of a warts and all approach, right? They're not going to mm-hmm. make Worf do this. And, and when it's left up to Worf personally, because Worf said, look, you order me, I'm there. I'm your soldier. Mm-hmm. You're my captain. Whatever you say, I do. Mm-hmm. And Picard says, well, do what you want. And Worf says, well, okay. <laughs> You're not going to like it, but um, I got to go. I'm, I'm glad you framed it the way that you did because, yes, Worf is, Worf is not acting like the Starfleet officer that he is. But for whatever reason, I separated that in my mind, and I'm thinking about Worf the Klingon and, and Worf's hyper-aware adherence to this, the, this fundamentalist Klingon ideal. Mm-hmm. Where it, you know uh, uh, he is so bound by honor and so bound by by sort of recognizing the enemy as the enemy because it's all glory and it's all battle that um, that he's tied to that. So yes, I, I I see where you're coming from. I think my idea of it was was predicated on the Klingon end of it, not the Starfleet end of it. But yeah, it seems like throughout Starfleet Academy and everything that Worf had experienced in his time with Starfleet up until now, these are lessons that would have been driven home time and time again. And and again, just go watch the Corbin Maneuver. Having dodged a galactic war, time now to see what lessons we can take from the enemy and whether the episode was worth it. We have arrived. We have arrived at that point where we get to wrap it all up and figure out what actually makes the episode tick. So, Ken, we're going to start things off, as is our tradition, and pose the question to each other. I pose it to you first. Does the episode hold up? And, of course, the episode being the enemy. Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's... Done, done and done. Oh, kind of. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, Jordy learns valuable lessons on the planet. Um, Bakra learns valuable lessons on the planet. Where this episode really shines, I think, season three is giving us so much as far as the characters go. And there's, there's, there's again, I don't know if it's better directing. I don't know if it's just that, you know, Patrick Stewart's gotten still more comfortable. Mm-hmm. But, but the scene where he tells Tomalak, look, we could kill each other. But mm-hmm. do we really want to kill each other? Because, you know, if I shoot you, there are ramifications. You shoot me, there's ramifications. Tell you what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that you're not going to kill me. I'm going to roll over. I'm going to expose my, my mm-hmm. you know, completely uh, undefended flank and, um, 
and and you're not going to kill me so I can do what I need to do. And there's real tension in that scene. Yeah. And, and and when he finds out there's that, you know, that there is the second guy, he starts off being sort of very smug. And then he goes into a real assessment of what they're doing. And then there's just this moment. He 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 swallows perceptibly mm-hmm. when he says, I'm going to lower my shields. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. We're also getting growth out of the characters here. That Worf did not give in to the transfusion makes him a less heroic character, but a more real character in a way. Because you're right. Mm. What Star Trek should do is have Worf learn the error of his ways. What episodic television should do is have Worf learn the error of his ways. He's going to be our security chief. He's going to be our hero. We're going to have to follow him into some place. And he just made a decision that we're all supposed to go, dude, that was cold. Yeah. But he did it. And he was allowed to do it. He was allowed to do it by his captain. He was allowed to do it by the writers. I mean, it's 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 kind of a... It's kind of an amazing thing to see that happen. So, yeah, you know, full of all kinds of messages and then full of great acting and full of great character development. I Yes, I say this episode holds up. What about you? Yeah, it holds up very well. I, I feel kind of bad that we piled on Jordy last time with Booby Trap. And we've pointed sorry, out did, that... Did, did we do that with Booby Trap? Uh, Booby Trap? Yeah. I, it might have been. I think it was Booby Trap. Because uh, I think we did pile... Oh, you're right. We piled on him in booby trap. Go ahead. It, it was definitely booby trap. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that joke will get old at some point, but it will. Yeah, but not, it hasn't not yet. Today, yeah. today no. is not that day. No, today the um, booby trap joke still works. <laughs> um, but we, we've pointed out at times that he comes across as maybe a little too earnest, or mm-hmm. there's something about him that doesn't quite mesh. But this this is really good, and he's really good in it. Mm-hmm. And and this is a situation where you've got an A and a B story that are relevant to each other. They actually work with each other. And and the character moments in those A and B stories are really interesting parallels to each other. Um, it is well acted. It is well directed. It is well written. It's kind of the, the, the holy trifecta um, of making a good episode. So, um, yeah, it definitely holds up. And, it, and it's one of those that I think helps to to show kind of the depth and complexity of Star Trek to somebody who doesn't get what this whole Star Trek thing is all about. Um, But let's talk about messages because I want to ask you something. You mentioned that this is an episode where you feel like um, Jordy learned something and Bakra learned something. Did Worf learn something? Well, not by the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, it may be, who knows what happens if this ever happens again uh, by the end of this episode no he didn't except that you know his wishes are going to be um, taken into account if there's something unpleasant that he could stop but he really doesn't want to do it he might not have to uh, which is kind of an interesting thing and kind of a weird lesson um, uh, for him well that's uh, what I kind of worried about like what is the aftermath of this do do people sort of after everybody finds out that Patak died yeah do they see Worf walking down the hall and go Huh. Yeah. No. Not, Here's nice, a guy who nice I don't job, know if I can jerk. Track. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because because they were lucky in that there was a Bakra on the planet. Yeah. That's what that that is what stopped this from turning into a galactic war. And I'm yeah. I'm actually a, I'm a little bit bothered by the Deus Ex Machina, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, of, of that whole thing. It's like, oh well, this is it. Thanks to you, Mister Worf. Thanks to your prejudice, we are now about to go into who knows how long of a galactic. Wa- oh, oh, wait a minute. 
wait, there's a way out. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, this this could have been ugly. Um, yeah, I'm a tiny bit bothered by that, except, of course, we've been watching that other story the whole time. It's not like we're watching 48 minutes of brinksmanship, and then all of a sudden, it turns out there was another right. one. I mean, we right. knew that that he was down there. Um yeah, it really is. It really is an interesting question, though. Would Worf have learned something like, you know, <laughs> security log five years later? You know, I'm thinking maybe I should have gone ahead and given that guy my blood. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Says right. Worf, you know, from the one tiny bit of the Enterprise that still has life support because the war with the uh, the war with the Romulans hasn't gone well. No. Um, no. So it doesn't seem like Jordy. I'm, I'm sorry. It doesn't seem like Worf actually learned anything here. Um, yeah. We learned. I mean, we. I think we learned something fascinating about about the Federation, about about uh, about Starfleet, about Picard. I don't. I, I. And you know, we're not supposed to do this, I guess, or maybe we are supposed to do this because it is in the past. Would Would Kirk? Would Kirk have let a lesser character, which on the original series Worf would have been, mm-hmm. Worf would be analogous to say Sulu or Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely has more to do than either of those characters ever did in the original series. But would Kirk have ordered a lesser uh, uh, guy or gal uh, to do what he wanted them to do, or would he have let that mm-hmm. happen as well? And it, it's maybe it's not worth mentioning. I, I, I find it hard to believe that Kirk would have ordered it. At the same time, I find it hard to believe that Kirk would have let a, a, a galactic war happen uh, just yeah. because one guy didn't want to do one thing. Yeah, I think they would have found a way out of it. I think they would have found a clever, like, uh, like you said, it's like the Frank Burns thing. Oh, we're going to knock him out and take his blood anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's possible. Uh, Yeah. That's a horrible thing to think about, though. We shouldn't think about that because then that's just like a giant indictment of Kirk. Right. (laughs) Right. Or could lead to one anyway. Um, Well, he would have cheated his way out of it because Kirk. That's what Kirk does. He admitted that he cheats his way out of it. Absolutely what he does. That's right. Yeah. Um, don't throw the baby out with the anything I think would also be another lesson in this mm-hmm, episode mm-hmm. the whole thing about wow your parents let you live and, and you know Jordy's horrified by that prospect it's great that then Jordy actually ends up being the key to Bakra's survival I mean hopefully he learns that you know you know maybe all those kids we've been killing because you know their hair is you know blonde instead of dark like a good Romulans or you know because they're blind or because you know whatever Right. Maybe he gets to take that lesson back to the uh, back to the Empire, um, assuming he actually lives long enough to get back to the Empire. I, I'm, I'm just so not optimistic <laughs> about, uh, about the prospects of of any Romulans. Well, if like their indoctrination starts early and hard, think about know? think about um, Mirror Mirror though. Yeah. Okay. Right. Kirk was able yeah. to talk to other Spock, other Spock who's very logical, Alt Spock, or whatever you want to call him, Dark Universe Spock or Mirror what? Universe Spock. He's able One to talk. Cannot summon the future. Yeah. yeah, he's able to talk to him and say, "Look, just think about this, okay?" And at the very least, what Spock says is, eh, "I'll think about it." Mm-hmm. And 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 you you sort of get the sense that that starts something. We get less of a sense here that whatever happens with Bakra is actually going to start a big thing. But you know, you plant seeds and you hope they grow. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He's I, Bakra. Bakra is a cog in the Romulan machine, but I, I, I will I will try to hold out hope. I say I say that Bakra is a is a patch of soil uh, in which uh, in which a mighty plant might grow. 
Okay. Um, I would say, uh, you know, the the message here that we've seen in Star Trek throughout is that you, you can avoid a fight by humanizing the situation. And, and it's not just Geordi and Bakra finding common ground, but it's like you said, that terrific uh, moment with Picard sort of being fully exposed to uh, Commander Tomalak and saying, here's what's happening. Let's talk as as rational people here for a moment and not just as warriors who are going to blow each other out of the sky. <sighs> and does it hold up? You want it uh, yeah. to, you want it to No, you want it to, I mean, but it doesn't, I mean, I, I want it to. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. Ideally it does. Whether it actually does, you might have to take on a case by case basis. And I hate, I hate having to be the guy who says that I well, want, the, the, I want um, that to be true so much. Well, we've looked at it so many times in Star Trek where we say the heart of the lesson holds up because it is a good and important and right lesson. Whether or not people actually adhere to it, whether or not it sinks in and they're able to apply it, that's another thing. But does the message hold up? Yeah, the message holds up. Absolutely, the message should hold up for all time. Um, But we have to keep repeating the message. And fortunately, a show like Star Trek keeps repeating the message. Yes. Yes, I'm with you on that. All right. Well, we'll end it by reminding everybody that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Our executive producer is Rod Roddenberry. You can find out more at Roddenberry.com. Not just Mission Log, but all kinds of uh, news and information and products from Roddenberry. And you can find out what Roddenberry is up to in terms of like releases of products and uh, where they will be and what they've been doing on social media. So check it out at Roddenberry.com. Is is White Room... Mentioned on Roddenberry.com? I believe that White Room is mentioned on Roddenberry.com. All right. For people who have like an Android phone or, or, a, or, a, or a tablet or whatever. And sorry, this is very of the moment. Ten years from now when people hear this, they'll be like, I can't believe that that was so cool. But, but you know, <laughs> right now in the middle of the, of the, of the teens, um, yeah, it, mm. it's, it, technologically it's a, it's a very interesting thing. I'll, I'll be completely honest. I haven't watched the whole thing, but, but – Take a look at White Room, and um, it, it, what what they've done technically there is is, is fascinating. I, again, I haven't watched the story, so I can't speak to the story or the whole the rest of it. But just just the just the whiz bang of what they yeah. did there is a, is kind of a cool thing. And I interrupted you; you had some more stuff. No, to no, that, tell that's people fine. about. Yeah, you, you can download the app uh, from Roddenberry.com, and you can check out photos from all of the places that the people from Roddenberry go, so like conventions and Roddenberry adventures. So just go to Roddenberry.com. You know you want to. Just do it. Um, just do it. Just do just it. Just do it. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, you can check out Trek FM. That's trek.fm, where we are very proudly to be carried. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. And be sure to join us next week for The Price. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Not to split hairs, but did Jordy's brain just suddenly get better as soon as he left Galorndon Corps? Transporters are magic. And transmission. <laughs>